What's up, Winona? 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 Thanks for joining us for episode 13 of What's Up, Winona? The only podcast that keeps you on the up and up on what's going down in the island city. It's Friday, October 26, 2018. I'm Tobias Mann, crime and government reporter, and this week I'll be telling you about Thursday's jail summit in which members of law enforcement and members of the criminal justice system discussed the future of Winona County's jail. And I'm Tesla Mitchell, features reporter for the Winona Daily News, and today I'm going to be talking about the owl that changed the world. Really hard to follow that, but I'm Maddie Heim, the education reporter for the Daily News. And if you've been hearing about mold in Jefferson, I am here to fill you in on all the facts. So stay tuned for a giggle filled episode. <laughs> okay, now Tobias, this is like the fifth take or so of this of this episode because of our giggles. But go ahead and try to tell us about this story that you were talking about about the jail. I promise I won't bust out in giggles. Okay. So. Uh, well, this isn't uh, a terribly funny issue, considering that in September 30th, uh, 2021, Winona County's jail is closing. The Minnesota Department of Corrections announced in early September that uh, that facility will be sunsetted, which is kind of like the signal that figure it out, build something new, get it fixed, whatever you need to do, or we're shutting the jail down. And the, the big issue here is that Winona County's jail was built in 1977 based on a really old way of building jails. It was never built for the standards that are being applied to it now. So it's no wonder that for decades it's failed its inspections. So this poses a big challenge for the county, which now has three years to decide what they're going to do about it. And so this panel that uh, discussed the issue on Thursday kind of talked about all the aspects of uh, the problem, specifically the jail's history, uh, some of the DOC's problems with the jail, and why those problems aren't really that easy to fix. Um, what wasn't discussed was more of the county's end of it. The county needs to decide how best to fix it, but also what they can afford to do. So this discussion mostly uh, focused on the needs of the jail, which are a, a little bit in question because they, the jail is, doesn't just hold people anymore. It's, it's not a brick and mortar or a place that just holds people until their court date. Um, it's a treatment facility. Uh, mm. the, the goal, the idea that Steve Buswell, the jail administrator, is pushing is that the people coming into the jail should be leaving healthier, in a better state of mind, and with some help to help them deal with whatever aggression they have, whatever drug addiction they might have, right. anything that it, it's, it's becoming a place where uh, the end goal is to get these people out because it costs the county a lot of money for them to sit in jail, for one. So this, is a, this was a uh, rather lengthy meeting. It went from about 6 o'clock until 8 o'clock. Um, and... People were rather concerned because jails aren't cheap anymore. Right. can imagine. So one, one of the big things that came out of it uh, is the sense of fear that a lot of the, the panel members exhibited that the jail, the county might not do anything. Hmm. You know, there are eight counties in Minnesota that don't have jails. 
I didn't know that. And Winona County, if it allowed the jail to close, would become the largest uh, county from a jail population standpoint to not have a jail in the state. Wow. The large, you know, uh, looking at those eight counties, uh, Dakota County, I believe, has an average of 15 uh, inmates being held in Steele County Jail every day. Winona County is holding between 50 and 60 inmates between our local jail here, uh, Wabasha and Houston. We have on average 15 inmates having to be shipped out because we can't hold them for more than 90 days or there's not room for them. Hmm. Wow. So there was a lot of, there was a lot of concern that while it's an option, it, it there is a lot of costs uh, associated with uh, transportation, a lot of challenges because uh, neighboring jails can reject inmates that are too dangerous or a problem. Oh, I didn't Wab know that. Wabashaw can say, huh. we are not taking this person. And if no other jail will take him, there's the potential and there's precedent in which uh, that inmate has been held in a prison at a rate of 300 some dollars a day. Wow. Huh. Which is quite a bit of money. Yeah, really. For the county. And yes, in theory, those inmates will have to pay that, but in most of the cases, they're not. Most of the cases, it's the county that's doing it. So there's, there are some solutions that are being looked at right now. Uh, one of them is restructuring the jail, which would potentially mean closing the jail for a period of time because basically what you see on the outside of our jail right now would stay the same. We might add an extension, but the entire interior of the jail would have to be torn out because the hallways are too narrow. All of the uh, gates and interlocks would have to be replaced. It costs them $10,000 a year to make sure the locks don't fail on the <laughs> cells. And if they do, that entire cell block will be discontinued. Jeez, okay. So the, the, there's a, there are a lot of... Un, un, uh, there are a lot of complications that go into fixing the jail. That's not a simple issue. Do they have a price tag attached to what it would be to... So right now, no. Uh, looking at recent jail projects, we can say with some certainty it's probably going to be between 8 and $30 million. It's a pretty wide oh, gap. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's, it's a really wide gap because... Uh, right. Most, most new jails, well, the, the, there's a lot of unknowns, and we in the jail, in order to be effective, needs to be built to the need. You mm -hmm. know, you, if, you need, if you're having a lot of mental health issues, which is an, a huge increasing problem in the jails, you need a mental health unit in the jail. Um, if you want programming space to keep inmates uh, busy on something so that they're improving their lives and like, less likely to reoffend in the future, uh, you need space to do that. Currently, uh, the jail has a recreation room, but it's also where lawyers meet with their clients. It's also where programming is held. It's where uh, inmates can exercise. And only about six inmates can actually use that space at any given time because, of the, because it's so small for safety reasons. Uh, yep. Um, the one good news of um, the possibility of rebuilding, which is uh, 
resoundingly the preferred solution from the majority of the panel members uh, is that the current staff could support a much larger inmate population. Um, it's not a linear uh, equation for that. Right now it's one staff member for every 25 inmates. That's the legal limit for mm -hmm. the kind of jail that we have now. Potentially, you could have that go as high as one staff member for every 60 inmates. Oh my God. Uh, and there's some financial benefit potentially to that too, because uh, if you have a large enough facility with enough beds, you have the potential that you could be taking in inmates from Minnesota Department of Corrections that they don't have room for. So this isn't a, a new problem. This is not a unique problem to Winona, but it is one that has a deadline. Huh. Wow, there's a lot to that. And I, and I will say definitely uh, stole the humor out of that. <laughs> Right. Well, it, it, yeah, it, no, it's a really serious issue. It really isn't a, a joking matter, no, unfortunately. Not at all. Um, but it's did it, one. Did well, it seem kind of solemn, like in that? I mean, what was the feeling that you got from the crowd that was there? Uh, the the crowd was generally reserved. Um, the big questions that the crowd had were cost, right? Um, because jails are not cheap. Now, um, I may have mentioned this already, but. The one good thing going for Winona right now is most new jails in other counties being built right now are these huge multi-purpose uh, facilities that have uh, courtrooms, they have police departments, they have sheriff's departments, they have um, training areas. They have, they're these massive complexes um, that require the, you know, these counties to spend a ton of money on land to, uh, to put them in. And Winona has adequate space in the parking lot outside of the law enforcement center to build a new jail with, that, with adequate capacity to handle any um, uh, population limitations that they might have. Um, we have a courthouse, and there's, from as far as I can tell, there's really no will to replace it. It's a beautiful building. Um, and the law enforcement center, the, where the police department and the uh, sheriff's departments aren't really affected by the need for the new jail. So there's the potential that we might, there, a new jail might be built, there, there's a potential that they can renovate the existing jail, uh, or they can do some combination of the two. Um, now one aspect that I didn't get to mention yet is um, Sheriff Ron Gannerud expressed a, a great desire to bring back some ability to hold juveniles. Because oh. um, I didn't realize that we couldn't. As of 2016, when the Department of Corrections downgraded the facility to a class two facility where uh, inmates can only be held for 90 days, uh, it lost its ability to hold juveniles. And what that meant was uh, juvenile offenders were having to be transported to neighboring jails, and if there wasn't room, sometimes they'd have to be transported to other states. And he gave the example of an 11-year-old boy who had to be transported to Indiana. Wow. Oh now, here's the kicker. He had to be transported back to Winona every time he had a court appearance or any kind of appearance. So he was being held in Indiana, and he had to be transported for every court appearance. Jeez. Not only is that really expensive, 
because you have to transport and you're holding that, that person, that child, right. in another facility, they've lost all connection to the community that they were a part of. Mm-hmm. So when it's done and over with, they're, they, you know, they may not have any friends to fall back on, and this is true of all inmates. And these were big concerns for many of the panel members at uh, Thursday night's discussion. Mm. So what's the next step, or what do you think we'll hear more news about this? So right now, the jail advisory committee, committee is working hard to nail down uh, the needs of the community and start providing some options. You know, basically bullet points. You can do this for this much, this for this much, this for that much. Hmm. And that's uh, supposedly going to be presented to the Winona County Board in 2019. Okay. Wow. All right, Maddie, what do you have for us this week? So, uh, earlier this week, um, we had received a report about mold um, in Jefferson Elementary, which of course, whenever you hear about mold in in a school, that's a big deal and people are worried about it. Um, And it turns out that um, four staff members at Jefferson um, had reported allergy-like symptoms. Um, One of them had reported it last May, and then the others had reported um, in the fall. And so that had kind of spurred the district to take a look into that and take a look into the air quality in specifically the lower level of Jefferson. Um, And the classrooms that are in the lower level of Jefferson are the art room, the music room, um, the uh, guidance counselor's office, and then also a playroom. Um, And so basically the district sent in the IEA, which is the Institute of Environmental Assessment, um, and they sent in those inspectors to take a look and they did three kinds of testing. They did um, air testing, they did dust testing, and then they did surface testing. And um, the air testing found that there was nothing out of the ordinary. Um, they What they do is they measure the, um, the tests on the inside based on what the outside looks like, um, or what the outside feels like. And um, the air testing came back totally normal, but the other testing came back with um, some moisture concerns. And then when they looked a little bit further, they did find visible mold on um, a couple of surfaces in the music room and in the art room, as well as uh, the carpeting uh, in the guidance counselor's office. So uh, after that occurred, uh, they sent a letter home to parents um, and then essentially just kind of went about how they were going to clean it up. So they brought in um, a Mavo systems to um, eradicate the mold and that started happening pretty much right away when they discovered the mold and when they had determined that it was actually mold and that there was a moisture concern. Um, and so they've been cleaning up and I actually just heard this morning from the superintendent that um, the uh, IEA came back and conducted further tests and all the areas are good to go now. So the short-term concern of mold looks like it is all cleared up. But um, the longer-term projection is that there was a lot of humidity in those areas and that could cause problems in other areas or it could cause the mold to come back. So what the district is going to do is continue doing the testing um, pretty much throughout the school year, uh, see how things are looking, and um, they're also going to test at WK um, at Washington Kosciusko. 
um, to just do some preliminary testing there and see if anything shows up there. And this caused a little bit of concern among teachers, concern for their own health and the health of their students, right? Yeah, it did. And they uh, they had a meeting on Tuesday of this week, I believe, um, where teachers were just kind of able to be updated on uh, the situation and kind of share their thoughts and their concerns. Um, and so, like I said, only four of them had filed um, complaints about the air quality or about the mold specifically. Um, and that's all that I heard had, had experienced those allergy-like symptoms. Um, but of course, whenever you have to upend, you know, classrooms, and that's what they did, um, they moved all the classes this week out of that lower level. Um, then all of those teachers got displaced as well. So this morning I was speaking with the art teacher who has been teaching out of the art room and now needs to get all of his stuff back in there, um, needs to get everything ready, and so he was thinking about his plan to do that. So yeah, there was definitely cons concerns from, um, from staff and from parents. Um, I actually spoke with the um, PTA president at Jefferson and she had said, um, that this actually ties into the referendum that's coming up and that there are some concerns in these old buildings that got built in the 1930s that there are some concerns that really have to be dealt with immediately otherwise it's not going to be a safe environment for the kids so um tell us about the reporting on this on this topic was it um was the school district um or was the school um easily contacted were were they pretty responsive how did how did the back end of the reporting kind of go on this? Yeah, so um, so we got the tip, I think, earlier this week or late last week. Um, and then I um, basically kind of just, um, we had heard that the, that the meeting was going to take place and... Um, meeting with teachers. The meeting with teachers, right. And um, that was not a meeting that was open to the public or was not open to me. Um, but the superintendent did agree to speak with me the next day. Um, and so that's kind of how the information got transmitted to me. Um, I also spoke with Scott Halverson. He is the president of the teachers union. Um, and he had just shared basically that, um, you know, he hopes that his staff, his, uh, the staff concerns uh, get taken care of. Yeah. Gotcha. So, so remind me again, how did this get, you know, how did they find the mold? Did somebody start exhibiting symptoms or express concern about air quality? And it was yeah. probably those four teachers, it was. right? It was the four teachers. The interesting thing is, I will say, looking at the Facebook comments on this story, people have been commenting, you know, this mold has been here forever, this mold has been here a really long time, and that's interesting because we hadn't received any tips before this, at mm -hmm. least not to my knowledge. So, um, you know, I can't speak to how long it has really been there. I'm sure mold doesn't come up really fast. And right. if, if that if that lower level does have humidity concerns that are more overarching than just like actual mold spots, then that would make sense if, mm -hmm. if it had been growing there for a little bit. But yes, um, the reports from the teachers came beginning uh, in late May. It doesn't sound as bad as my uh, middle school experience where the we had a pool and the, the humidity would get so bad in the, the rooms near the pool that the paint would peel off the Oh my God, that's horrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think in reality this had the capacity to be a lot worse. I, when I was, you know, getting ready to ask my questions about this, I was researching other, you know, stories on mold in elementary schools and there are schools that have to be closed for months while they take all the mold out of the walls and really? stuff and, and you know that's just that that turned out to not be the case here luckily for the students I think um, 
Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'll be interested to see what the later testing um, finds. And um, I asked the superintendent as well how much that would cost, and he said that really depends on uh, how many tests they have to do. So we shall see on Jefferson and WK. Yeah. And considering that they just sold those schools, they wouldn't have uh, had anywhere to put the kids if they had had to close it. True. Yes. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> so, Tesla, whoo hoo! Did you uh, <laughs> talk to this week for this story, this gem? <laughs> oh, that was great. This that was owl great. pellet. Oh, God. Where are you going with that one? <laughs> this pellet of a story. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah so um in houston um so have you been to houston you've been to houston. yeah I, I worked for the houston county news editor for a year oh yeah that's right okay so in houston a town of about 970 people um there is an owl that has changed the world and um and that's actually pretty legit um so her name is alice and um she lives with a woman called Carla Bloom, and Carla Bloom started um, an owl festival because of Alice, and then now it's turning into an owl center. There actually already is an owl center, but they're working to establish a more permanent place and stuff. And so, um, yeah, this owl has really um, like changed so much for this town, but for the world. It's really amazing. So I got to talk with Carla, and um, I'll be doing a story for Sunday's paper just on the journey of this owl and and her journey with this owl and how it's all turned into what it has today um right now the big thing is the international festival of owls which happens every year and that um started like back in 2003 and then um and that first year it had about 300 people show up but now it has more than like 2,000 that show up every year. Really? Yeah, from across the world. It's really amazing. I've been there so many times. It's a really fun festival. And um, part of the thing that they have is like an owl hall of fame kind of thing. And so they award advocates of owls who have really done a lot to help owls across the world and stuff. And so people come from all over the world to get these awards as well as to visit the the um the festival and stuff and so it's actually a really really big deal because before this owl festival there was never an owl festival like uh, like across the planet like this is the very first owl festival and it all started with alice so alice um came to houston because carla was um paid by the city to help come up with plans for a nature center so they've got the Root River Trail down there, and they wanted a trail, at the trailhead, they wanted a nature center. And so she started, you know, putting forth plans. Well, someone mentioned to her that one way to really get it started is to start programming before there's even a physical space. And so Carla is already, was a falconer. Falconer, I think that's the right word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, birds of prey were already on her mind and stuff, and she thought, okay, well, let's get a... Um, unreleasable uh bird to use as for education and stuff and so she tried really hard to find one and got a hold of like the raptor center in the cities didn't hear back didn't hear back didn't hear back and then finally kind of gave up on the idea and then one of her friend's husband who apparently is quote you know a bird guy unquote 
um, told her about a place that she could look and she wrote it down on a napkin and called them and sure enough they had a bird they had Alice who had um, who had dropped out of the nest at three weeks old and had injured her wing bad enough to where it was permanently damaged and she wouldn't be able to be released mm-hmm. and so because Alice had kind of grown with humans rather than rather than with owls she's what they call a human imprint Mm -hmm. and so the alice believed that you know humans were owls and that her mate would be a human you know so there's like this you know this um that she already had a relationship with humans and then so carly gets a hold of her and brings her to her house because as a falconer she had a room for for birds. Sure. And probably was legally able to keep a raptor. Yes, because you can't just like keep an owl. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they ended up growing this relationship and started doing education. And now Alice believes that like Carla is her mate. And it's so it was so cute talking to her about like Alice's personality. Apparently, girl owls are not very kind to their mates. Apparently, like, yeah. Um, there's another pair of owls that um, this is a total tangent, but I'll get back to the to the main story of it. But um, there's these pair of owls that are also with the owl center down in Houston that has been created, um, or in conjunction with them, and it's a a boy and a girl. And the boy will like bring the girl food and stuff, and will like just you know just pamper her and stuff. And she will, like, take the food and then nip at him to, like, get away. Be like, and she'll, like, eat it all herself and stuff. Like, yeah, they're very, it's very interesting. But, um, yeah, so they ended up having this relationship. And they ended up, um, you know, doing all this programming. And then um, th- Carla was thinking, well, how can we combine programming with tourism for this nature center? Because by this point, the nature center had been up and running. And so she thought, well, let's do a hatch day for Alice, kind of like a birthday party. Mm -hmm. And so she created this birthday party and named it the International, or not the International, she called it the Festival of Owls. And yeah, it just blew up from there and became what it is today. And because of that, because of that festival, it inspired other festivals across the world. There's one in Nepal, there's one in Italy, there's one that's starting in um, India um, to celebrate owls as well. And this has really helped encourage and excite people to start learning about owls and seeking more about owls. And apparently there's like not very much information out there about owls. Um, one of the things that Carla's working on right now that has never been done is studying their vocalizations, their, mm-hmm. their, um, their talking or their hooting. Because mm-hmm no one has really had time or the ability to be able to do that or the interest or whatever it is it's never been done but she has this owl who lives in her house all the time and and apparently they hoot at each other all the time Mm -hmm. like it's a requirement for alice like if carla doesn't get up in the morning and go and hoot with her like she will sit there and hoot nonstop until carla comes Oh, really? Yeah. And That's like, quite the relationship. Yeah, yeah. And as soon as Carla comes home, she says hi to her husband and then immediately has to say hi to Alice or else Alice will get pissed off. And when she gets when she gets cranky, um, she will show Carla by, like, you know, biting her, nipping her, you know, whatever. She will just, yeah. And um, other fun fact about that. So Carla can't bring over people 
She can't bring anybody over to the house, really. Because if she brings over somebody else, then Alice takes it as, you've brought another owl home. How dare you? And she will attack Carla. Yeah, she won't attack the person who visits. She'll attack Carla. Oh, really? Like, like how dare you? How dare you it's do like that? It's like she's uh, cheating on her owl. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's very interesting. Yeah, which, by the way, note for anybody who's listening, owls do not make good pets. Carla said that over and over again, like, between the amount of care that they need, the, the between the aggressiveness that they can show, and just the space that they need and everything, they are not good pets. But because Carla you know, had skills already in this and mm-hmm. she has her background in college was, was environmental studies and all, you know, she's, she's well-trained, let's put it that way, mm-hmm. to be able to deal with this. Um, and so, yeah, and so Alice at her house has her own room, has her own screened-in porch with a little pet door that she can get in between and out. And, um, yeah, it's, it's really amazing. But, yeah, she's an owl that changed the world. Sounds like one heck of a feather in her cap. Yeah. <laughs> and a hoot of a good time. Yeah. Oh, which actually reminds me. So the whole point, of the, the whole reason that this story came about is because Alice is retiring. That's right. So after 20 years of doing this, this has been 20 years of her working, so to speak, um, she is retiring. So it's not really because, you know, I asked Carla, is it because she's getting close to the end of her life or, you know, is she sick or anything? And Alice isn't sick, but she's got, um, quote, a lot of arthritis and she's very cranky. So, All right. yeah, bringing her into the office, bringing her into the center um, does does make her very cranky and, um, and she doesn't like it. So it's time for her to retire. But it's at a cool time because, you know, she's she's helped get, she's helped inspire all of this to happen. And now their next step is to create a permanent location in Houston um, for... A much bigger center so they have an owl center now in Houston but it's a little storefront and it poses a lot of challenges does not have enough space mm-hmm. and so they're seeking to do something similar to the Eagle Center in Wabasha sure where it would be much bigger would have programming it could have the ability to house more owls and do um, just a ton more education um, so it'll be really exciting to see to see that happen. It will be quite a few years. They're in the middle of um, acquiring all the land that they need. Um, what's cool about that, though, is the houses that are on the land that they would like have all been very um, acceptable or not acceptable. They've been um, willing to sell. But Carla <clears throat> really wanted it to be on their timeline. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, she's waiting for some of those people to be ready for it, which I think is really cool because especially in a small town, like it's not, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to win over people by trying to force them out. Right. In a small town, that's just not a good idea. So it's really cool that she's kind of, you know, taking into account, into account what everybody else needs before starting the center. But, um, so it will also be next to that trailhead that the nature center is by, so... Well, we'll have to keep our eyes out for the future of that one. Oh, yes. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for joining us for episode 13 of What's Up Winona, the podcast. And side note, kind of cool. It's almost Halloween and today's Friday and it's our 13th episode. Eh, 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 eh. Almost like it's Friday the 13th. Right. (laughs) 
So you can find What's Up Winona on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else that you get your podcasts. We hope. If not, let us know so we can work on it. (laughs) What's Up Winona is a product of the Winona Daily News' awesome editorial staff and River Valley Media Group. Have an amazing day and a great weekend. Thanks for joining us.